All right, it's good to be here tonight. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. Second Corinthians chapter number 7 tonight. We're going to start reading in verse number 4. 2 Corinthians 7 verse number 4. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God, that comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you, when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season." Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Tonight, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want to talk about what Paul said here, Godly sorrow, and just really think about in our own lives, uh, really we'll look at two different perspectives, we'll look at Paul's side of it, and then we'll look at this church, how they receive this message from Paul, and uh, you know, hopefully this will help us in our Christian life. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, we thank you tonight for your goodness, Lord, we thank you tonight for your word, and you know, Lord, just the things that it teaches us, and God, I thank you for this example here from this church and from the preacher Paul as he, uh, as Lord, he, as he had this heart to really to help them to make things right in their lives. And God, just the joy that came out of it. I'd pray tonight as we receive your word, you would help us to whatever you speak to us about, God, to respond in the way that you would have us to. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as we have read this, Paul, he starts out in verse number four, and he talks about his great boldness and his speech. Now, Paul had to address some issues that were in this church at Corinth, and uh, as, as we read down through here, Paul actually kind of struggled with it. He didn't just take joy in telling them they were wrong. In fact, he said, I don't repent even though I did repent. 
we see that Paul was kind of torn. He was conflicted about it. As he delivers this message, this, this bold message to them to call them out on the things that are wrong, it actually, it, it, to me, it looks like it troubled Paul. And, you know, most people don't go through life loving conflict. I do know some people who it seems like they thrive on conflict. I don't know if you know them or not, but I know people that uh, every chance they can, they love to just, you know, dig at people and, and they really like to upset people. I know people like that. That's, but for the most part, that is not a normal response. Most people hate conflict. Um, the more you have to, you know, address a person, the easier it becomes because really thinking about uh, my work life, going from, you know, working to where I didn't have anybody that was under me and then now having that, it gets a little easier the more you have to, like, you know, address a concern that you have. But the very first time is definitely awkward and it's not, it's not comfortable. But Paul here, he has... His heart is for these people. He loves these people. He wants these people to be right with God. He wants these people to know the joy of actually, you know, having their sins confessed, about repenting, about making things right in their life. And Paul had such a passion for them, he had to say something. I know that in, a, in the world and the culture we live in today, people almost want to shame you and call you judgmental for standing up for truth, for saying something to somebody that may be considered offensive, and they want to say you're judgmental. But in the Bible, Jesus taught, how to, taught us how to deal with that, didn't he? And, and really, Jesus, and some people will use, you know, the judge not thing and, and say Jesus doesn't want us to judge. But really what Christ was very clear about is when we go address a person, we need to make sure that we have things right in our life. That we don't just go there in a judgmental way and, and we have some, something in our eye as we try to call somebody out. So Jesus really emphasized the fact that your heart has to be in the right place. Um, we're not going to go through Corinthians here. Uh, I think that Paul probably is talking about his first letter. Some people think it was a different letter he wrote to them. I'm not really sure. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul had to address several issues that were going on within the church and uh, they had divisions that were going on. They were fighting, saying, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos. And they had, the, he called them carnal. You're carnal. You're walking like men. You're carnal. Uh, they also had the, the misuse of their gifts. They were the spiritual gifts and the speaking in tongues. And there was a lot of misuse in the church that he had to straighten out. But one of the greatest problems that they had in the church is the immorality that was within the church. And, just the, and so Paul, he, he addressed that. And uh, as we get into 2 Corinthians, we see that this church, they made things right. You know, as you, as you especially, you know, for, for a preacher, uh, you know, just thinking about a pastor of a church, as a pastor pours out his heart, and, you know, Paul, he's a missionary here, and he's starting churches, and he loves these churches. But as, as a preacher pours out his heart, in all reality, sometimes they'll preach a message, and they have no idea how the church is going to respond to it. They're, they have no idea. Sometimes there's things within the church and they preach a message and people hear that message and people leave because they get upset with the truth. They leave and say, I don't want to hear that. You're, you offended me, whatever it is. And they get mad at the preacher. And I think Paul probably had in his mind, I have no idea how this church is going to receive this letter. I don't know if they're going to accept it. I don't know if they're going to you know, get mad at me. I have no idea. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, 
he said, uh, he said in verse number 11, he said, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you. And then look, he said, our heart is enlarged. You see, Paul loved this church. He loved them. His heart was enlarged to them, meaning that he had great care for this church. But as I read this and just see his kind of conflict here, I think that he was at first maybe a little worried how the church would receive this. And we're going to see that this church, as they made things right, God not only blessed the church, but he blessed Paul. He blessed Paul's heart for saying, hey, these people, made, you know, they, they got things right. And like I said, it's not always easy. Sometimes, and, and I know this is the devil, he does this to us. Sometimes in our mind, we think, I don't want to say something to this person that I care about because I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to be the person that comes off and rubs them the wrong way. And so sometimes instead of saying what we should say, we hold it back, don't we? Because we're afraid. We're afraid how it might affect our relationship. But I want to tell you tonight that God has called us, all of us, to really to speak the truth. And, you know, as a church, and you'll see this all throughout the New Testament, we are to edify one another. And there are times within the body of Christ that we need to hold each other accountable even. And, you know, if, if something's wrong in my life, if somebody comes to me and says, Jason, I noticed this in your life, this isn't right, my response should be to get right with God. But sometimes we get offended. Sometimes we let it bother us. Sometimes we might look at a person and say, how dare you say something to me? You don't, you look at your life. And so sometimes we live in fear. I think sometimes we fear, you know, we might think, I'm not perfect, so how can I go address an issue with somebody else? I want to tell you something, that's the devil trying to stop us. Because if God has worked in my life and he's helped me to overcome something, you know what he wants me to do? To help somebody else. It only, that's how God works. You see, God wants to make, God wants people to get right. And as we, as God's people and as, as God's church, as we meet together and, and, you know, we fellowship together, we should care for one another. And I'm going to tell you this. Don't ever believe a lie that the devil is going to put in your mind saying, if you say something to them, you don't care for them, or maybe it's going to hurt them. Don't believe that lie. Because it's more damaging for us to just do nothing and let them go on in the way they're going. Paul had this love here. He had this concern for this church. But like I said, sometimes it is difficult. It, it's even difficult for us. Uh, hold your place here and turn to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27. And look in verse number 6. Most of you are probably familiar with this verse, if not all. But the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. We might look at that and think that's kind of an odd statement. But you know what, you know what the Bible's telling us here? That sometimes we might say something that would be considered wounding. But we're telling the truth so that they can make things right. But the kisses of your enemy are deceit. That means they're not going to say anything to you. They're going to let you go on in the way you are because they really don't care for you because they're your enemy. 
So the Bible says if we really truly care, then, then we're, you know, we're going to say something. Um, so let's read down now as we are through here. Paul talked about how great is my speech toward you in verse number 4. And then he said, I'm exceeding joyful in all our tribulations. Now Paul had many tribulations that he dealt with on his journeys. And then in verse 5 he talks about how uh, when they were in Macedonia, our, our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. I mean, the devil was really working overtime on Paul here, working in his life, trying to discourage him. But look in verse 6. So Paul has all these issues that he's dealing with. But then he says, nevertheless, God, that comforted those who are, that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So he said, we had all these things going on, all these, these fightings and these fears, but God uplifted our spirits when Titus came to us. But why did it uplift them? Look in the next verse. In verse number 7, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he comforted in you. He was comforted in you. So as Titus came to Paul and, and was reporting about the church at Corinth here and, and the, the news that came from him, you know what Titus told Paul? Look at the last half of verse 7. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. You know, as, as Paul had written this letter, as, uh, as he had addressed the issues that were going on in this church, Titus came back and brought news to Paul and said, Paul, guess what? They love you. They care for you. They're mourning for you. They have a fervent mind toward you. He comforted Paul with really the love that this church had for the preacher. And I want to tell you tonight... You know, if we follow God's plan and we do what God wants and we let him work in our life, God will bring us joy. God will bring us, and, and when people are made right and people get right with God, you know what's going to happen? They're going to love the fact that you cared enough to say something about them, to say something about where they were headed, the direction they were going in. We're going to look at, uh, we're going to look at a couple examples here in a minute of, of repentance, and I want to show you, I'm going to show you an example of a man who repented, his heart was right with God and how God restored him. And then I'm going to show you in the Bible this man that sorrowed. And the Bible uses the word repent, but it wasn't the same repentance that we saw in the other man because he didn't make things right and his life ended in disaster. So as we look at that, I think it's going to be important for us to understand that, you know, God causes us sometimes to sorrow. This, you know, a lot of times people who preach a message, they, they don't want to preach a message that makes you sad. They don't want to preach a message that, you know, convicts you, that, that the Spirit of God will convict you in. A lot of people just want to hear good news, good things. But clearly in the Bible it shows us that sometimes God brings sorrow into our lives so that we can repent. Sorrow is not a bad thing, but it needs to be godly sorrow. We'll talk about two different kinds of sorrow because the devil would have us all stay in sorrow over our sin and no hope. But God wants you to sorrow and realize there is hope, that there is restoration, that there is a possibility of getting right with him. So as we look at this, I think it's important for us to understand that um, sorrow is not a bad thing. You know, there are people now who preach against 
repentance as being part of salvation. They preach against it and in, in saying it's a work and saying that, you know, it's not really God's will. It's just all, you know, all you need is, is just the faith and pray to God. And you do need that faith and you do need to pray to God. But the Bible clearly teaches about repentance. You know why repentance is so important? Because we need to understand what it is. Repentance is, is me realizing I'm wrong and I'm going I'm I'm to turn around. Now, as, as we talk about repentance, we don't say in salvation that you have to get everything right in your life because that's not taught in the Bible. So as people misrepresent it, that's not what repentance is. Repentance is me realizing, hey, I've been going the wrong way and I need, I need something different. I need God. God has not been in my life and I need him. If a person never comes to the realization that they are wrong, that they sorrow over their sins, that their sins cause Jesus Christ to die on the cross for them, then they're just going to say, oh, all right, Lord, I'm going to pray a prayer, and that's good enough. No, repentance needs to be there. And I want to tell you, God is the one who works in our hearts to cause us to repent. It is God who, who really convicts us through his spirit. Hold your place once again and look in 2 Timothy with me real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 2. As Paul was uh, writing to Timothy and just instructing him on, you know, his, his you know, preaching and his ministry, in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, Verse number 24, this is what he told him. He said, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. And then he told him, in meekness, instructing those that, impose, that oppose themselves. So he told Timothy, this is how you need to preach. You don't strive, you don't, you, you're gentle, you, you, you teach, you're patient, you're meek. This is how your preaching ought to be. Preaching to those that oppose themselves. And then look at what it says next. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. He said if God would give them the repentance. You know what to me Paul is telling Timothy? It is God that has to work in their heart. It's not you. You don't have to strive. You don't have to get up there. He said you, you're gentle. You're patient. You teach them the word of God. And if God grants them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And then in verse 26, he said that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So the devil is holding people back, but God wants us to, to really to speak the truth. And he wants us to share that truth. And he wants to work in people's hearts and lives. So as uh, Paul is tell, you know, telling this church here, he said, look in verse number 9. He said, now I rejoice not that you were made sorry. But that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye, were might, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. You know, Paul wasn't, Paul, Paul didn't take pleasure in making them sorry in the aspect of, you know, they, it, it probably did hurt having to deal with the things, the sins that were going on in their life. So he said, This doesn't bring me joy, but I am so glad that the sorrow that God gave you brought you to repentance. So as we think about this, first, uh, keep your place here because we will be back. But let's go to Matthew chapter 26. I want to look at the first example of a man who 
He loved the Lord Jesus Christ, but he made a mistake. And uh, his name was Peter. We know Peter. He was a follower of Jesus, and, uh, and he had great love for Jesus Christ, but he denied Jesus. So in uh, Matthew chapter number 26, let's, we'll, we'll start reading in verse number 73, really looking at this last encounter. He said, And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them. For thy speech bereath thee, saying, you know, you're, you, we know you're of Christ, we know you're a follower of Jesus. And then in verse number 74, the Bible says, Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. The Bible says, and I mean, imagine the, the feeling that Peter had. Thinking about Peter, Peter told Jesus, Jesus told him he was going to, he was going to fall, that he would deny him. And Peter said, no way, Lord. It doesn't matter whatever people say, I'm willing to, to die for you, Jesus. I'm not going to deny you. And right here, he ended up doing exactly what Jesus said, because Jesus obviously knows better. And the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. It broke his heart. I mean, I can't imagine the feeling that Peter had. Because here's Jesus really coming to the end of his earthly life. And they didn't really understand everything that was going on anyway. And now Peter just feeling this guilt within him. Now, when Peter sorrowed, the Bible, uh, and we'll look at here, look here in a minute, but he went back to fishing. He didn't really make things quite right yet. He was, he was sad. He wasn't, you know, he, he was probably upset with himself. But Jesus will have an encounter with him, and that's going to be in John chapter 21. John 21. In verse number 15, the Bible says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. You see, Peter had got to a place where he was just kind of, he didn't really get back into it. He was just kind of doing his thing. He didn't really make things quite right, in my opinion here. But as Jesus is speaking to him, you know what Jesus said? Do you love me? You know I love you, Jesus. You know what Jesus said? All right, it's time to feed my sheep. It's time to follow me. It's time to obey me. Aren't you glad? Because I'm going to tell you right now that all of us as Christians in this room have times in our life where we need to repent. All of us. And that, you know, that's from the, from the oldest of us to the youngest of us. All of us have times in our life that we must repent. But aren't you glad that God doesn't just give up on us and say, I'm done with you? 
You see, Peter had messed up, didn't he? But you know what Jesus said? All right, Peter, do you love me? I love you, Lord. All right, let's get back into ministry. It's time to serve. And then he even told him in verse number 19, he talked to, in 18, he talked about the way he was going to die. And by the way, we know Peter repented, and this is how we know it, because we read on in the New Testament, he followed Christ until the end. He followed Christ. He repented. He made things right. But then in verse 19, he was speaking about his death, uh, signifying what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. All right, Peter, it's time. Follow me. Get back in it. Let's serve me. Follow me. And, uh, you, you know, like I said, Peter made things right. And, and Peter ended up serving the Lord until the day he died because he made things right. But I'm going to show you now a man that uh, he was sorrowful for the things that he had done. It's going to be in Matthew chapter number 27. But this man, his sorrow drove him to take his own life. We know about Judas Iscariot. Judas was the man that betrayed Jesus for the silver and really had brought the soldiers to where he was. And so, thinking about Judas, he was always about the money. Even Jesus told him that. Money was kind of his downfall. And uh, he cared more about that than he cared about Jesus Christ. Now, as, as I read stories like this and think about this, Think about as Judas watched Jesus Christ for all, you know, for the, for the years that he walked with him and ministered with him. The fact that his life would end like this. I, I mean, imagine being one of the 12 disciples, watching Jesus perform the miracles, hearing, imagine hearing in person the Son of God speak the word to you. I mean, to me, there would be no greater preacher than Jesus Christ. He's the word of God. The word came from him. It's his word. I can't imagine. But to watch a man who through all of this would betray him and then his life would end with him being so sorrowful, so filled with guilt that his repentance didn't really do anything for him because it wasn't true repentance. You know, sometimes we might wonder when a person sits through service after service after service and, you know, the things never really change in their life and, Maybe I scratch my head, but then I look at this and think, you know, Judas had all these opportunities and did nothing with them. I don't want to be that person, do you? I don't want to be the person that had all the opportunity that God had given me and do nothing with it. All right, uh, Matthew 27, verse number 3. It says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, he saw that Jesus Christ was condemned, repented himself, now that word, if you look in Strong's, and obviously Strong's isn't necessarily all inspired, but that word repent is a different meaning than the repent that we see in other people that have truly repented. He had regret, he had sorrow, but he did nothing with it. So he, uh, he repented himself, and then look, it says, and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Can you see Judas bringing the money back and saying, hey guys, I don't want this. I made a mistake. I messed up. This, this money is, it, it, just imagine how he felt in his mind and his heart. And then look in verse 4. Saying, this is what Judah said, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. He recognized and acknowledged the fact that Jesus Christ was innocent. That nothing he had done was wrong. 
And they said, what is this to us? See thou to that. You know what they said to him? We don't want your money. What is this to us? We don't need that. We have what we wanted. It's done. You can't, don't, your money is nothing now. So he's, he's sorrowful. He realized that he sinned. But what happens to him? Look in verse number 5. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and hanged himself. That was the end of his life right there. That was it. Now let me ask you a question. Let's, let's go back to where we were. We're going to end here shortly. Go back to first Corinth, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And look with me in verse number 10. Paul said, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. You know what godly sorrow looks like? It's a person when they come with their heart broken to God. Whether, you know, and this to me, whether a person is lost, they don't know Christ yet, or whether a person is saved and they've just kind of strayed away from God. Godly sorrow brings a person to repentance. It does. Is sorrow good? Yeah, sometimes it is. Godly sorrow is not a bad thing. Godly sorrow brings a person to the place where they say, God, I need you. I've been wrong. I've been doing the wrong thing. I've sinned. You see, Judas said, I've sinned, but nothing changed in his life, did it? He didn't change anything. He's going to go out and he's going to hang himself because of the grief and the guilt that he had. I want to tell you today that when God brings sorrow into our heart, there's a reason for it. And you know what that reason is? So that we could get right with him. So that we could make things right. Don't, don't ever be upset with God when he brings sorrow into your life, when he's trying to get your attention. You know, sometimes God brings things into our life, and, we, and it makes us sorrow, and it makes us... And you know, sometimes people actually get mad at God and say, God, why would you bring this into my life? Why would you let this go on in my life? Why would you do this to me? But I want to tell you something. When God brings something into your life, we ought to say, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? Are you trying to show me something? Are you trying to bring me back to you? Sometimes when we stray from God, we might not even realize how much of our joy we've lost. We might just kind of be going along and, and things are okay and they're not that great. But I want to tell you something. When you realize that you're wrong and you make it right, you're going you're gonna to experience the joy that God intended for you to have. He's going to make your life better. He's going to make you happy. He's going he's to bless your life. So when God brings sorrow, it's so that we can make ourselves right. But then look on in verse number 10. He said, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You know, God doesn't want us to feel hopeless. God doesn't want us to feel like there, there, you know, there's no chance and there's no hope. Judas, he got to that place. He sorrowed and he, and he was so really taken by his grief that he ended his own life. And I want to tell you today that when we preach the word of God and we preach about sin and, and people feel sorry, God wants them to feel that so that they can make things right in their life. And I want to tell you tonight that just as I said before, all of us are going to have times in our life where we must repent. But the question is, how are you going to receive the word of God? When I look at this church, look at the fact that they made their hearts right with God and how happy they were 
in the fact that they say, Paul, we love you. We want you to know you, your, your letter was received. We love you. We love what you told us. We were wrong and we made things right. And how do we know they made things right? Look in verse number 11. Paul said, and behold, this selfsame thing that he sorrowed after, a godly sword. And then he talked about what carefulness it wrought in you, what, what uh, clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what revenge. And then he said, in all things, you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. They made it right. They made it right. And I just want to say tonight that as we end and conclude, I am, I am thankful to be in the church that God has put me in. And one of, the, one of the blessings to me of being in this church is the fact that we hear the truth preached. And I want to encourage you, church, because there might be a time that the pastor preaches a message and it speaks to your heart. And you may get defensive and it may bother you because maybe he called you out on something. And by the way, most of the time when, when a preacher preaches, he's not, when, when he studies the Bible, it's not that he's thinking about you. Have you ever been in a service where you think, man, does he know what's going on in my life? It's because God is working. It's because God is the one, you know, give God credit. God is the one trying to work. So as God works, don't get mad at a preacher because he reads a Bible verse and it hurts your feelings. Repent and make things right. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. I'm thankful. Like I said earlier, I'm thankful because, believe me, there are things that have been wrong in my life. As I live on, there will be things that are wrong in my life that I have to make right. But I have to be the one to say, all right, Lord, I'm going to repent. I'm ready, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm coming back. I, Lord, I know I, I've, I've went astray. I've been doing the wrong thing. You have to be the one to decide to repent. The Spirit of God can work in your heart. He can speak to you. He can convict you. And you can do nothing with it. You know that? You can decide, I'm going to sit here and I'm not going to do anything. I don't care what the preacher says. I don't care what my, maybe your family told you some things. But that is a, a rebellious and stubborn heart that none of us should have. We should have a soft and tender heart to the Word of God that says, Lord, I want to sorrow and I, wanna, I want this to work repentance in my life. You will see the difference. Repentance is genuine, it's true, and you'll see the difference in your life.